0: All right, so we've had a fantastic reception to the interviews we did with ex-Jehovah's Witness, a.k.a. Apostates. And many people have reached out to us from the ex-Jehovah's community and said that they have identified with the stories, it has inspired them. There's a plethora of Facebook groups and people have requested for us to get more on. So, Jason is here. It's it's Easter. A huge thank you for coming on, Jason. Definitely. Uh, before we get to his story, he was just telling us about the bread and the wine in the Jehovah's Church at Easter time. So, could you recap that, please?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, well first of all, th- thank you. It is a real privilege. Yeah, and thank um, you. This is i know we're going to go into some dark places today um probably not as dark as as, as Chris who is on your podcast previously um but it's um it, it's tough for ex jehovah's witnesses because they they don't have a voice, and I think you guys giving us a voice on the the large platform that you have is a real is a real privilege um so thank you I really do appreciate it nice. um well yes uh, the 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 memorial is just passed for the jehovah's witnesses um and it's a very um, it's very different from your traditional uh, Christian church um, as it is as a whole religion. But their memorial that they do is is somewhat different. Um, so most people will have gone to a church before and had bread and wine that gets passed around and everyone partakes of it. And they often churches will do it every week or every other week. Jehovah's Witnesses will practice this ritual once a year. But nobody actually partakes of the bread and wine. So they they make the unleavened bread. You know, old lady usually makes it uh, in a, a, hard at work. You know, making this unleavened bread, and then they bring out the wine, and it's usually really, really lovely red wine as well. So it's
2: not those little white round circles. Oh no, know. no, communion. nothing like yeah. that, nothing, communion.
1: nothing like communion. No, and they put it on a on a tray at the front of the kingdom hall, and then everyone just passes it around, and it goes from person to person to person to person. And nobody partakes of it. And the reason being is from a doctrinal point of view, they believe that only 144,000 people are destined for heaven. Now, those people will partake of it. um, But all of those should have now died by now because they were selected pre 1914. Um, So, yeah, they're kind of running out of time now. But what they've done is they've just changed their doctrine slightly to kind of fit their uh, what they believe in um but yeah so it's a very it's a very strange place to be if you're not familiar
0: with how they work so the hundred and forty-four thousand people then is that pre-selection or can people still qualify for that no you don't qualify for it it's not
1: like you know you don't have to how go to sort of university or anything it, what they say is is that if you know you know that's basically what they say um, but the the what they believe is is that jesus returned invisibly in 1914. And that's when he set up the true religion, which is the Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, at that point, he selected 144,000 that were going to be with him in heaven. So really, the the 144,000 should have been born prior to 1914. Well, that would make all of them now dead um unfortunately so they and the their prophecy is is that there would still be people on the earth that were of the one hundred and forty four thousand that would still be alive at Armageddon, so all they've done is changed their doctrine and they said it, it was actually uh uh it's this thing called the overlapping generation they call it, so it wasn't something that was, it was something that was spiritual as opposed to physical, shall we say so yeah. But they, they're good at doing that. They're good at changing their doctrine to make it fit, should we say. This is so fascinating. It, yeah,
2: is it anyone's game?
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is, to be fair, really. So I could, you could turn around to it and just say, I'm one of the anointed, and you they'd kind of have to believe you. Um, so like yeah. with
0: Scientology, you've got to rise up the ranks. Yeah. You don't have to rise up the ranks to be one of the 144,000. No, I suppose 000.
1: technically you don't, to be fair, because you can be man, woman, anything. I mean, it's one of those things that actually women can qualify for, which is a strange thing for the Jehovah's Witnesses to allow women to do. Um, but yeah, that's one of these things that you you can actually be. So
0: you said, so you said something there that must have shook the foundations of the Catholic Church and other Christian <laughs> religions. <laughs> yeah, of course. Jesus yeah. came back in 1914 yes. according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. For so so what documentation of this exists then? How did that come about? Um well of course there was lots of things going
1: on in 1914 with the wars and everything else and they they said that's when he set up his his true religion. Now what's really interesting though is, is that back then you've got you've you've got the two sort of famous lead well not famous but the, in the JW world they are famous you've got Charles Taze Russell and you've got Judge Rutherford and um, back then Jehovah's Witnesses were still celebrating Christmas they were still doing birthdays they were still um, they were still practicing lots of things that they don't practice now so it's a bit strange really that he selected them in 1914 when they were still doing all of these really, really awful things. Um, so, but yeah, that's what they, that's what they believe in. Yeah. So was it like a resurrection kind of thing? Or was it a, like, did he appear? Done, did he no, appear no, no, to no, someone no. like, he just, he just came back invisibly. That's Invisibly. I, I, yeah, convenient. And yeah, spoke but, to yeah. who? I, I don't know, to be fair. Well, I, 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 I it was Russell that kind of had, had predicted these things. Um, what Jehovah's Witnesses don't know is he actually did it using pyramidology. So he actually did it from a pyramid, which means what? It's all stooped him. I've never it, even heard of pyramidology. You know, <sighs> it, it, he did it. He did it from a way and there'll be other people that will be able to go into this a bit more doctrinally and more expert than what I am. Um, but yeah, he was able to work out these dates from a, from a pyramid. Um, and that's how he worked out his timeline and said, this is when, Jesus sort of returned, but the dates kept on changing. When obviously it didn't happen, so I think it, I think what happened in the end is he went. Oh no, he did return in 1914. It's just that it was invisible. They didn't expect that. They thought it would be something that they would see, but they they said no. He just returned it invisibly in 1914. 1914 is a very very important date for Jehovah's Witnesses.
2: Obviously, yeah. so, wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. So I've got to ask the question: Growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, no Christmases. Mm, yeah. Well, it's not just no Christmas, Jen. I mean,
1: it's, it's, no, Easter, it's no, no Easter, no Easter, no birthdays. no birthdays, no
0: Mother's Day, no Father's Day. But you said pre nineteen fourteen, they had all. Oh that. yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Why they, did they stop it?
1: Um, Judge Rutherford was, was was the one really who kind of stopped everything, including if you had facial hair, you weren't allowed. For, I mean, you're still not allowed facial hair when you're you know being a Jehovah's Witness. Um, you know that that's. But it was really his. He just wanted to ha- separate himself from Christ- the, the traditions of Christianity. So that's when you obviously had, you know, the memorial changing in terms of, you know, people taking communion and all that kind of thing as well. Um, so, so yeah, but he was the one who sort of, who who really kind of put a stop to all that. Um, but that wasn't probably until a bit later on, but yeah, obviously you know, that's what it was like growing up as a Jehovah's witness and they really don't celebrate anything to be fair. Um but that wasn't the hardest bit, really, of of growing up. I mean, you can't miss what you've never had. But there were certain other things that obviously were a lot harder um, than not having not having Christmas and birthdays.
2: So going back,
1: where is it you actually grew up? So I grew up in in Lincolnshire, uh, right. in a little town called Bourne. Well, that's where I that's where I grew up. Yeah, um, there'd be, I think there were about 30 jehovah's witnesses in the town where
0: i lived were you born into a jehovah's witnesses family
1: yeah i was um my and both my parents were were also born into it as well i think my father came into it when he was about four um all from sort of the door knocking um and then my my grandmother on my mum's side uh she she joined it again from from door knocking um so yeah grew up grew up with it you know but the thing is is that because i was sort of a a, th- a third generational jehovah's witness it wasn't just my immediate family that Jehovah's witnesses. It's the ones that go beyond that cousins and uncles and aunts and all that kind of thing. So it was a big, you know, sort of family community, if you like, but, um, but yeah, going back to your question as, so as you said there was it, worse it, things than missing. Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, like I say you don't, you don't miss what you, what you've never had. And, and actually, you know what childhood was actually, they were, they've got a lot of happy memories. You know, we had some really good family holidays. Um, I always had a good relationship with my dad. Um, We'll probably talk about my dad probably quite a lot, I imagine, over the podcast, but um, not so much with my with my with my mother. Um, she was um, I don't want to use the term abusive because I think that can sometimes be branded around. Um, but she certainly was violent and um, that didn't obviously sit very well with me growing up. I would say that the the Christmas and birthday things never really had an effect on me. But actually, it's things like being dragged to a, a meeting on a sunday morning it was things like going door knocking on a saturday while all your mates are out playing and you're having to put on a little suit and you're selling religion i mean you've sold on the stock market hey i've sold religion do you know what I mean? and done it for many years you know um so it, it's it, and and you know and done it from the age of since i can remember wow. those were the bits that were hard missing out on going out and the worst ones really were the conventions, so just to explain what a convention is is uh once a year you would go and meet up with other congregations within the area, and it would be a three day event and you'd have to sit on a hard plastic seat for eight hours a day and when you're doing that when you're three, you know it those are the things that are hard you know, and what you're missing out on um, th- those are the difficult things, but also being forced to listen to subjects. Which you, as a three-year-old, really shouldn't be listening to. Those are the things that are difficult to listen to. Listening to the graphic way that God is going to destroy the earth when you're three. Those are the things that are that, that affect you when you're when you're that little. I mean, bearing in mind again, just separate from Christian from your traditions of Christianity we don't they didn't have a sunday school or anything like that you had to listen to it and if you got caught doing this you know turning around or whatever you get slapped for it you know um you didn't have little games but you had to f- listen to the speaker so listening to things about how god was going to destroy the earth how was he was... is is there an end of world
0: component then to the religion
1: yeah um so what they believe in is is that um this is how they believe that they they believe in this thing called armageddon so they don't believe in people going to hell um or going to heaven apart from if you're one of the 144,000. What they say is is that you will get eternally destroyed. And, and if you are not on the right side of God on the day of judgment, then you are going to die. Um, I want to say it. I can't put it any more blunt than that. If you, you, if you you If you don't become a Jehovah's Witness, you will die. But here's the other thing. Even if you become a Jehovah's Witness, there is still no guarantee that God will save you at the end. It's only if you're a good Jehovah's Witness that he might save you. Um, Is there a date for this day of judgment? (laughs) Well, there used to be, but that's, again, another story. Um, And actually something that helped me unravel the whole truth about the witnesses was these failed prophecies of dates of Armageddon. I think they've given up trying to predict a date now because of how many times they've got it wrong (laughs) in the past. Um, But I would say out of everything, and it wasn't just these subjects about the graphic way that, that God was going to destroy the earth. And it's a weird thing to say. And it's unfortunately, it's something that actually Jehovah's Witness Jehovah's Witnesses cannot wait for the day when everyone else dies. You know, that's the, the crux of the matter. And that probably is the case with a lot of fundamentalist religion. They cannot wait for the day when everyone else is gone and they can rule the earth. Um, and when you're three and you're having to take in all that information, but also the other elaborate things that are spoken about at some of these kingdom halls, sex. You know, I mean, what? it's spoken about all the time in these kingdom halls. In what context? 100%. It can be anything from why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. I've even at the age of six, I was listening to what sex positions you were allowed to do with your wife. These were the things that are said in the kingdom hall, you know, and people ask me this question, Sean, why do you want to, you know, why do you want to stop people from joining this religion? I'll tell you why, because when you have to listen to those things, when you are five, six years old, it's damaging. So of Of course. course I don't want people to join them. Because this is not acceptable to, to, to have this kind of information, which, by the way, is still being done. You know, it's torturous.
2: What positions did they suggest?
1: <laughs> uh, well, it would be things like, are, are we Missionary. beyond five minutes? I've got, <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say because I know of you, Oh, wait, we're YouTube, past the five but now. We are, okay. go, yeah. But yeah, for instance, oral sex, you know, and that's spoken about all the time, you know. It's uh, prohibited. You know, prohibited. Even for married couples, Um, it it's prohibited. Um. But also things like, um, you know, they, they talk about masturbation all the time and how, you know, you'd have a Thursday. What is it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um um. So, so yeah, uh, and this is the thing that those are the things that you have to listen to as a child. And, and that's, that's the thing that's damaging. Out. Yeah, because you don't get pulled out of these things.
0: Did it talk about the menstrual cycle? Because in some of the religious texts, it says, like, a woman is unclean and you can't even sit where she's sat and things like that. I don't know if that applies to you. No, no I,
1: I, I certainly didn't experience that. I mean, okay. I, I experienced certainly a lot of... um other things when it came to women, which will, um, no doubt, we'll go on to talk about. But, uh, but yeah, not not necessarily that one. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, that was sort of my childhood from the age of, you know, from when I can remember.
0: So were you just absorbing all of this, and you had mm. no one to like let your feelings out to. You said your mum was wasn't... no,
1: but you can't, though, Sean. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. You know, this this is why so many ex Jehovah's Witnesses and current Jehovah's Witnesses get so depressed because you have to put up and shut up. You are not allowed to have a critical mind. You have to go along with what they say. And if something changes, like the 1914 doctrine, like celebrating Christmas, they used to be allowed to smoke. But if you question it, if you question what the organisation does, out. Shunned. Shunned. You know, this is the thing. You are not allowed a voice, you know. And this is what I think affects people
0: mentally. Wow. What are your relationship with... Kids your age back That's then what I was gonna ask. And in school yeah. and in, in the community—they're
2: having all their Christmases, birthdays, bar mitzvahs—and yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to church every Sunday, mm. hearing about grotesque things yeah. at such a young age. I mean, were your friends at school not questioning you? You don't
1: have friends at school, Jen. You don't. You're not have, allowed. Them. No, of course not. No, you—you you, you are protected from these. You do not have school friends. You do not associate with people outside of this religion. And if there is nobody your age, tough you know you you have, um, well, I went to a uh, C of E school um it was the only sort of school that was around um in in my town and um they used to do uh hymns you know so of course not allowed in that so of course all of your all of your people from school everyone in your classroom is going into these assemblies and I would have to sit in the library by myself. Oh. I did understand. I understood. I understood how diggers work. That was that was interesting. <laughs> you know, I was I was reading those books, and it was probably more interesting that was going on, that was what was going on with the assembly. But it was very difficult to be able to actually um, interact with people that you thought tomorrow we're going to die at Armageddon. Were yeah. you allowed to interact with the other kids, or were you advised to at, at shut school, up at school? Yeah, you 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 had to have a you know you you because you were. You couldn't get away from them, obviously, in school. So you'd, you'd you'd go and talk to them, but it was a very limited relationship. But again, like I said, how how are you supposed to have a relationship and how are you supposed to respect a school child that you believe was going to die at Armageddon? You you can't you can't you, you know because you believe they were on the on the wrong side of God, you know. So to have a relationship with them, uh, yeah, it's almost impossible. Yeah.
2: Wow. Well, and coming back after their term for christmas and they're talking about all their presents and Mm -hmm. what they've done and how much fun yeah how did that make you feel
1: like i say it didn't really have any effect on me because i had the best thing i was god's friend you know so i I was much better than what they were you know so i guess from that point of view it didn't really bother me but that was the thing that was drummed into me you're better than them because you know you're friends with jehovah um so so did you
0: get bullied as a consequence of standing out
1: yeah i mean i mean i think that I mean uh, with with the name with that I have possessed anyway Jason Thickpenny I mean you're going to get Thickpenny that's my surname Thickpenny. so yeah. you know you're going to get bullied for a name like that anyway I mean kids are brutal I would say primary school not so much because I think at that age kids are a bit more forgiving. certainly when you get into secondary school and people are tr- you know trying to be the big I am if you'll pardon the expression It's a very different situation. So I I had to learn to fight fairly young, you know, and from the age of about 12 to 15, you know, you are getting picked out in the playground every lunchtime. And, you know, and it was it was brutal, you know, and you get kids that would be and they would have seen you obviously knocking on doors at the weekend. And, you know, they'd just be constantly, you know, doing stuff. I, I mean, it was it was horrendous. What sort of things? Oh, could be anything from Bible basher to, um, uh, to like, oh, I saw you at the weekend, loved your briefcase. But then, I mean, that, that kind of thing was fairly, you know, fairly light to be fair. It, it's when people would actually pin you against the locker and say, Say you hate Jehovah, you know, because that's the type of thing again that kids would, would do, you know, um, just to sort of show off to their mates and, you know, say, say you hate him, otherwise I'm going to hit you or whatever. And, you know, it would be sort of stuff like that. Um, and I would, ref- I, I obviously, you know, because of how I was indoctrinated would refuse to say it. So I ended up knowing how to know knowing how to finding out how to hit back, you know. And you know, you're not did made. You, did you think you were walking
0: on eggshells?
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. And every day it was like that. Every day it would be like, you know, I'm waking up and you're not really sure what's going to happen. And, you know, am I going to come home with bruises again? And, you know, it was, it, it was secondary school in particular, it was a very, very tough place to be. So how did you yeah. focus? Focus you were, on lessons. On lessons. Well, you didn't. And again, the reason why you didn't is Armageddon's coming tomorrow. You don't have to worry. <laughs> you don't have to worry about getting an education, you know, because Armageddon's coming. You, so long as you're on the right side of God, it really doesn't matter. So again, that was bred into me when I was a child. So I never really sort of worried too much about paying attention in school because it was—I never—I was never going to complete school. Armageddon was round the corner. I was never sort of too worried about what was going to happen. Um, I mean, looking back now, I'm glad I didn't bother with uh, with that anyway. To be fair, but uh, but yeah, that's another story. But um, but yeah, certainly I was never never a worry about sort so of. So, did you have any favourite subjects? Uh, I loved I loved my PE, actually. But I guess that was because I could, didn't have to talk to anyone. I could just run around for a little bit, I suppose. Um, and I, and the thing is, is that there were some sports which I really excelled at. So, of course, when you excel at something, you know, and people are like, give you a bit more respect for it. So I remember once I, I entered a tennis match, actually, and um, there were, there were a couple of lads that I was playing against in the first rounds, which were notorious school bullies. And I absolutely wiped the floor with them when it came to (laughs) tennis so now they're the ones that are getting all the shit from all of the people in school because you've been beaten by this jehovah's witness you know so that was quite a nice that was quite a nice thing to do so i guess that was probably a subject that i like that's probably it i would say in terms of subjects that i liked at school did imminent
0: armageddon prevent you from having a career goal
1: (sighs) what a question wow Well, well, well yeah of course because it wasn't important, you know you was...
0: fantasize about being something or, or... Uh,
1: no, I mean, certainly after I came out i I had those kind of goals, but um certainly back then, you know your own're you're, you're, you're a passenger in life, that's all you are, you know you're just passing through this world. Armageddon is what it's all about it's you know you, you don't have to worry about any you, you don't have these goals my 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 life was already planned out from the age of from when I was born. You'll go to school, you'll get a part-time job, probably cleaning windows. That's generally what Jehovah's Witnesses will do. You'll meet and marry someone, and then you die, and that was pretty much it. You know. Did your parents have jobs? Uh, yes, actually, yeah. My well, my my dad did. My dad was one of the very few, actually, that did. Um, he was uh, he worked for British Telecom for fifty years. He worked. He literally went from school to BT, and that was it. And then he retired, you know, when he retired. Um, my mum was actually a uh, primary school. She wasn't a teacher, but she was like a helper, a classroom help assistant or whatever. Um, so, yeah, both of them had jobs. But like I say, my mum was part time and my dad was one of the very few Jehovah's Witnesses that actually had I don't want to say a proper job. That's not, that's, that's, that's disrespectful, but he had a a career, if you like. Um, He never went anywhere in terms of, he never climbed the career ladder, if you like. He kind of had one job, which he had for, you know, till he retired. Yeah.
0: How were your siblings handling the pressure growing up? Um, I mean,
1: my, my older sister was a, was a golden child, you know, um, she did really well in school. Um, she was, I was a, really bad jehovah's witness because i did like to ask questions i did like (laughs) to ask why um i did like to ask where the information was coming from uh which is probably why i got a lot of backhanders from my mum for it to be fair but my but my older sister was um you know was very she was also extremely talented my older sister brilliant artist um got straight A's at GCSE level because that's kind of the level you're allowed to, to get to. So she got straight A's for that and she was head prefect and all this kind of thing. Very, very well respected and she was sort of golden child, really. Um, and, you know, and it was such a waste, really, because after she left school, she became, she became a cleaner um, and, you know, and dedicated her life to the organisation of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I, I certainly think that... Um, I don't know why, but she didn't seem to experience the same thing. I don't know if because... She was a girl, maybe the bullying wasn't quite as bad. I'm not saying that girls don't get bullied. I know that happens a lot, but certainly for her, she was able to to somehow escape it to a large extent and I think because she was very popular um it was it was a little bit easier for her in terms of my younger sister, I'm ten years older than her, so i didn't really I didn't really know what was going on to be honest with you because by the time she had sort of got into secondary school and that kind of thing we'd I was always, I'd already left by that point, so I'm not really sure about about her. What about your brother? I don't know. I don't know. Brother, I got two got two two sisters. Oh, two sisters. Two okay. sisters. Yeah, one older, okay. one older, and one younger.
2: Yep. So we'll talk about the baptism and the process mm. and the force of it and what it means.
1: Yeah, and this is a this is the thing you see, Jim, because when you are baptized as a Jehovah's Witness again, it's very different from your traditional Christianity. Um, now I remember. A, a conversation i had with my mother this is after i'd i'd left and i'd sort of cleansed myself with all the of the doctrine and she said oh but we never pushed you into it we never pushed you into it we never forced this but let's just think about this for a minute shall we at 3 years old i'm going to every single meeting i'm not allowed to ask any questions i'm not allowed friends outside of this organization the 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 doctrine is is so important that it you as a child you view it as. You view it as as serious as if you walked out in the middle of the road, you know, oh, don't go in in the middle of the road, you'll get run over. Don't put your hand in front of the fire. You'll get burnt. You know, don't pick up that sharp object. Oh, by the way, don't do that because Jehovah hates it and you'll die at Armageddon. Oh, OK. You know that that's how it is. So you can say that I'm not forced. What are choice choices I have? what, what age did you get
2: baptized cuz usually well I was
1: late actually yeah. yeah I was late I was 14 when I got when I got baptized which is actually quite late for them um and you know it, it's it's late but still way too early um because I had no idea you don't know how the world turns at 14 but you've got you've got youngsters as as young as 8 getting baptized you know um and the process that you have to go through when you want to be baptized it's not like it is in biblical times where there's a there's some water get yourself baptized you know or you know you can just stand up in church and say i want to be baptized you know and then off you go yeah because growing up i was baptized at two right okay yeah i think i'm one and a half two and that was usual yeah of course yeah ah. um and they don't obviously have child baptisms or anything like that that's not not practiced um so if you want to become Kristen, a, sorry yeah that's right Kristen, <laughs> yeah yeah i know what you meant yeah. Yeah, yeah um but when you're a jehovah's witness it's a very different story if you want to get baptized. You you have to have, I think it's, I think I had five sessions with separate elders and they have this little green book. At least it was when I was a Jehovah's Witness anyway. You have a green book and you have 132 questions that you have to answer um, in a way that they, that they seem is fitting. And only after you've answered all of those correctly, do they say, yes, we can recommend you to get baptised. But here's the thing. When you then go to the convention to get baptised, They then ask you two more questions and you have to stand up. And the two questions they ask you is, have you repented of all of your sins? And you say yes. And then you say, do you accept the authority of the organization? It's worded a bit different to that. But do you accept the authority of the organization? As soon as you say yes, that's it. You're bound by all their rules now. And they essentially own you. Um, And it's at that moment that, like I say, they essentially own your soul. So if you don't get baptized, you might be able to have a slightly different relationship with your parents should you choose to leave than if you get baptized. I, like I say, had the had the full dip, had the had the proper baptism. Did you know what you were walking into when you did it? I mean I mean, nobody does. Nobody knows what they're getting themselves into, you know, when it comes to the, the dark side of it. You know, you just think that you're joining this lovely fluffy religion. That's built, that's, that you believe to be the truth, that's been indoctrinated in you from such a young age, you, you don't know what you're truly getting yourself into. By making that public declaration of, I belong to this organization, you don't know what that really truly means. Um, but by publicly declaring it, it means from a legal standpoint, there's a lot of things that they're then allowed to do um, without consequence.
0: So, What is the um, ceremony then, the baptism ceremony?
1: I mean it's really dull, really, to be fair. It's uh you go into the baptism pool, you go you get baptized, everyone goes like that, and then that's it really to be fair. Do you wear all white? <laughs> Sorry? Do you wear all white like Christians? <laughs> Uh, no, really. Or no. a gown? No, nothing like no. that. Nothing, nothing as exciting as that. Is it no. a full, do you
0: get fully submerged? Oh, or? yeah, yeah,
1: fully submerged. <laughs> There's no, no, this sort of sprinkling thing that you <laughs> have in church or whatever. Yeah. No, it's a full, it's a foot it's a full immersion. So yeah. it's like a swimming pool. Yeah, that's right. So they have this, right. they have this, uh, swimming pool. Not, not everyone, not every, uh, assembly would be, would have the same pools, but the one that, we had in, in Helleby, which is where we, we would do it near Rotherham. Um, they would actually pull out, um, the, the swimming pool was actually part of the platform. So they would pull out this little thing and then there would be this like little pool that would be under there. And it was nice. It was heated and all that kind of thing. So you have to
0: wear certain garments or,
1: um, they just say, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no. budgie smugglers certainly wouldn't have been a, no, no. So, Yeah, that's right, but no, it would be shorts and t-shirt, that would be what you would have to wear so, yeah, something a mod, modest bathing suit is what they would, their, their term And
2: yeah. would it be just you or,
1: or would there several others? There would usually be more, there'd usually be several, to be fair, that are getting right. baptised at the same time,
0: yeah. And is all the people, the congregation watching?
1: Yeah, that's right, all the conversation, all the conversion, all the uh, convention, sorry, are all watching,
0: yeah. yeah wow. And how long does the whole ceremony last?
1: Not long, probably probably about twenty minutes, Different half an hour, Denmark. maybe. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. uh, it's not. It's 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 very quick. Yeah, yeah.
2: So after you got baptized, you went on to leading meetings at fourteen. Yeah, I mean the thing the is, is that,
1: the thing. This is the thing you see is that I was given, I was given talks in a Kingdom Hall age six. That's the first time I got up and read the Bible in the front of a Kingdom Hall. You know, in front of sort of forty people. You know, um, so now
0: you got these speaking skills. <laughs> yeah. you're a very good speaker oh thank you i appreciate that but this is the thing and i do not
2: advise you going to Jehovah's (laughs) jehovah's skills but but here's the thing you
1: see just and i know we'll hopefully talk about this a bit later but just to interject if you are an ex-jehovah's witness and you've you've had all of this free training how to be a public speaker how to overcome potential conversational stoppers when people don't want to respond to you on the door um this 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 confidence you know even how to use microphones, all of this stuff is free training that you'll get when you're there. I'm not saying you should join (laughs) it as a result, but use these skills to your advantage in your everyday life now, you know, and that's what I would really encourage. But but yeah, I mean, it it was... um, But,
0: (sighs) How do you overcome conversation stoppers when you're out the door?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Please tell us. (laughs) Well, for instance, you would get, I'm not interested. That would be a very typical thing that you would get. So whereas obviously most people just go, oh, okay, no worries, goodbye. Now I would sort of go, Okay, so what are you not interested in? Are you not interested in religion or you're not interested in what I've got to say? Um or I would say something like, Do you know what it is that I'm actually want to talk to you about today? And they yeah, would can go we
0: reenact this with you.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: because <laughs> go I've, I've got, got be not right, interested. Go on then, to deal with my jehovah Witnesses. Oh go on then. This would be interesting. So they're going, they start talking and I say talk to me, dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, go on so, then yeah. so what do
1: you want to know about dinosaurs then and i'm putting my do jehovah's Witness hat this is going to be tricky what about but aliens go on. well do dinosaurs you ha- and aliens well let's talk about let's tackle the dinosaur thing first right, okay. then shall we okay so the big um, bang theory yeah well dinosaurs are um there's evidence that dinosaurs obviously existed now which you we obviously can't get away from but what's your problem with what's your problem with dinosaurs i mean do you think i don't believe do, in them yeah oh yeah we absolutely believe that they exist okay that's all right then aliens uh, what evidence have you got that aliens exist? Pyramids. Okay, <laughs> Fine. Stonehenge. I have no problem with the fact that, as a Jehovah's Witness, other galaxies might exist with foreign people on them.
2: Okay, how do I join? <laughs> that was easy. Sold. <laughs> yeah. No, um, what would be the usual thing? Then? The so usual I, thing
1: would be, I'm not interested. All right, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not Sorry, interested. Having it's me
0: investigating... yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I,
1: I would, I would challenge it, and okay. I would say, and I would say, what is it that you're not interested in? Religion. Why are you not interested in religion?
2: Uh, not for me, sorry. Is it because of the amount of wars that it started? I was just, you know, every Sunday having to go to church and stuff. Not really into that. Okay. But if I said to you, I,
1: you can live forever in paradise on earth for eternity with all of your loved ones. Is that not worth going Sign me to... me t- <laughs> 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 All of yeah. this is in a ministerial book that you get when you're a Jehovah's Witness. Wow. So wow. you can... So that, that's, the, like I say, you can pick up some skills from it that actually, in my career, have actually been actually really helpful. Um but there's some things that certainly aren't very helpful when it comes to leading a, a ministry school and um just touching on it a little bit, the 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 disrespect this organization has for women. Um and it's it's really really tough because if I'm to be really honest about it, when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses the hardest thing comes to term with was I'm a chauvinist. I don't respect women. And the reason why I didn't respect women is because when you are four years old and you're sitting in a convention or you're sitting in a meeting, no women are giving public talks. No women are allowed to deliver the microphones if somebody wants to comment. They are not allowed to give talks apart from if they are sitting down, if they are going to pray. If there were no other men present, they have to put a tea towel over their head. What? Absolutely true story. And these are things that I'm witnessing when I am from the age of birth. They are not supposed to have full time jobs, only part time. Now I don't care who you are. When you are that age and you're getting that drummed into you, you are not going to have the respect for women. And after I was baptized, age fourteen, the next day I was going out and doing my door knocking. And I was the only man present. So I'm having to lead him in worship. I'm having to, I'm being the one that's praying. I'm being the one that's saying, right, you guys go over there and you go and knock on those doors. You knock on their doors. this is what we're doing today.
2: What sort of ages were the women? Oh, they were, they'd they'd be all ages, you know. um, So a 14 year old boy, mm, not man, boy mm, is directing a load of adult women. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, And and that was the norm and, 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 you know, because I'm a man, I'm more important, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is. And, um, it's tough and it's a tough thing because obviously leaving the, leaving the religion and, you know, getting to know women in workplaces and all that kind of thing. And meeting all these women and, you know, these women that are now leading me in the workplace, it's like, wow, you're amazing. You know, this is, this is, I did not expect this, you know. And, um, like I say, it's, um, but when you are when it's drummed into you from that young age, you, you have to be brutal with yourself. Yeah. This is, this is why I'm like, this is why I'm feeling like I am at the moment. Um, because like I say, you just, you you, (laughs) lead, leading, leading a bunch of women that when you're 14 years old, it's like, why am I doing this? This is not, this isn't right. But actually that's, that's your role now. That's your role now. You know, um, and like I say, there were people that were far more experienced than me and far better placed than me to lead these people. Um, but I'm a man, so therefore the responsibility is on me.
2: How many women?
1: It could be as many as 20, maybe. It could be as many as 20 that would come out in a field service. Because bearing in mind that the, the field services, is their sort of elaborate term for door knocking essentially, but you'd have like a 20 minute meeting before you'd all go out where you'd pray and you'd, you know, you you you'd read some Bible verses and all that kind of thing. Um, and like I say, the onus was on the man, the boy, but bear in mind 14, actually, yes, sir, still, still a boy, but you could be, you could have children as young as 10, 11 doing the same thing, you know,
2: but because you're a man, the responsibility is on you to do it. Um, Yeah. So were there many 10, 11 year old boys leading a load of adult women? Oh, there will be up and down the country today.
1: You know, Um, I mean, in my congregation, there wasn't it wasn't as big. So, you know, but yeah, that's exactly what I can't imagine
2: taking orders from a a child. No, but the thing is, Jen, is if you
1: grown up with it, you would accept it. You Mm. would submit, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do as women. You're supposed to submit and you know your you the man is the head of the household that was a term that was drummed into you when you were young and stuck with you the man was the head of the that was the head of the woman and um, women
2: are second class citizens absolutely wow
1: absolutely you know um that is again drummed into you from a young age and um, i'm sorry if the, the day that you decide to leave the religion you've got a lot of cleansing to do you've got a lot of learning to do about the role of women in our society you know um i I really really had to learn that
0: yeah so during these door knocking years then you must have had some funny bizarre oscarian encounters.
1: oh yeah god (laughs) dear um what was the scariest i'll tell you the scariest encounter i had was um i'd gone i'd be about 12 um which is probably why i'm still struggle with dogs because, I'd, I, I and this happened frequently, but there's one time in particular where I remember, and I was with an elder from my congregation, and I would, like I would be 11, 12, probably, maybe younger, actually. And there was this dog that was growling, and he got his
3: ears pinned back,
1: <laughs> foaming at the teeth, and it was on a chain. And I said to this elder, I said, are we going to this, knock on this door? He said, oh, yeah got a knock on got a knock on this door this one this, 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 this we might be able to convert them I doubt it and I'm like
3: convert the so dog I'm, first yeah
1: anyway th- this dog was going for us and it, it must have been about a yard from us but the chain I'm like they're gonna break that because this dog was dying to get <laughs> his teeth into us and we knocked on the door and woman said look I'm not interested whatever and Anyway, and this elder just said to them, I said, is your dog all right? And they said, oh, no, he'll go for you. And then she closed the door. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, right. So now I've got to somehow find a route down the driveway to get past this dog on a chain that is trying to kill me. But yeah, that was, that was an experience. That's for sure. And that's probably why I still, I still am difficult with dogs because I'm like, is this one going to attack me? Cause dogs coming at you was something that was quite commonplace, but that one in particular, I'm like this, this, this dog one's going to tear my head tear, tear my face off. But there was, I mean, there was certainly some interesting, there was some, certainly some funny ones as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, you get people that would just have come in from the night before and all that kind of thing. That was, that was funny. Um, I always used to like it if the person that I was... Because you usually go out in twos. I always used to like it if you go out in a two and somebody else was leading the conversation and I would just peek in so I could watch the football on the TV. <laughs> you know, um done that a few times. Um, I love it when, though, you get challenged. And it's something that I would love people to do more of is if you say to a Jehovah's Witness, I'm not interested... They will just think that they are, you know, being a disciple of God. And if you're rude to them, they'll think that even more. If you question them, and you say, and you say, "Well, hold on a second, why do you believe that?" Getting them to open up their mind. This is why they don't knock on my door anymore, you know. And this is why, you know, I'm a nuisance to them now, which is kind of ironic. Um, But that's what they need more of. They need more people to challenge them in terms of their beliefs. What is the most challenging question? Do you know what? Interestingly, the most (laughs) the one time I remember getting challenged when I was door knocking was from a blind priest. And he read his Bible in Braille. Wow! Now, Jehovah's Witnesses may come across as being very knowledgeable when it comes to the Bible. They know nothing of the Bible. They know their interpretation of the organization and their version of the Bible. They don't know what it says. I talk, spoke to this priest, and I said, "Good morning. We're offering people a free home Bible study today." To which he said, "Which Bible college did you go to?" I'm like, "What? <laughs> what are you on about, mate?" Anyway, and he said, "And he said, I'll happily have a study with you, but he said we do it solely using the Bible. No." Extra publications, because they've got loads of these extra publications, the Watchtower, the Awake, the What Does the Bible Really Teach book and all this kind of thing. <laughs> they've, got, they've got loads of these publications. You'll see it when they come round and on their trolley stands and all that kind of thing. This priest said, we are going to have a discussion solely using the Bible. And when I went back to him with this elder that I assumed would have loads of more knowledge of the Bible than what I did, he could not respond to him. So when it would be like, for instance, we'd read a passage of B- the Bible where it says, God guarantees your salvation. It's like, but you guys don't believe that as a Jehovah's Witness, do you? And, they were like, and he was like, no, we don't, because that's not in the, it doesn't mean that it means something else. And he's like, but this is what it says. And it was this that we, where the, the it was actually at this point, the the, the cogs are go around in my head and I'm like, I don't know anything about this book that I've apparently know loads about. <laughs> and neither does this elder who's been an elder for 50 years. He doesn't know anything. Um, so that was, that was that was certainly a memorable challenge, ironically, when it was about the Bible. I mean, people had actually challenged us about the dinosaurs and stuff before, but I had loads of stuff that I could respond to Behind, with that. Yeah. Um, but that was, the, that was the first time that, that I can remember being challenged and one of the most – and one of the ones that actually – Back then, really bothered me, which I never told anybody. Um, I did years later because I knocked on his door and said, "Look, I just want to so let you so know." So say left. this was your turning point? Mm, I would say, to an yeah. extent, it was. Yeah, it was because it was the first time somebody had challenged my views from a very interesting perspective, shall we say, and a very respectful one as well.
0: Yeah. What about your hormones kicking in at that age? Then <laughs> Are you allowed to date? We,
1: we've got, we've gone, uh, gone dark quickly. Haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just have a sip. Of, it. of course you can. Well, I, I, I just take that, that in. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Cheers. Um,
1: oh dear, we're going to go dark now, aren't we? Because please, and, uh, yeah. So I, I was just like any normal fifteen-year-old boy, you know, um, uh, trying to watch pornography on my, you know, old computer with dialogue. That's bad, you know. isn't it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but it was kind of my only access to it because, of course, I didn't couldn't have these kind of conversations with you know, with girls at school, you know, couldn't obviously have a relationship with anybody at school, you know, where you, where you'd see sort of other kids your age walking around the playground, holding hands with the girls and all that kind of thing. You want to do it, but of course, you know, it's, it's completely suppressed, but yeah, um, there's a reason why Jehovah's Witnesses, including myself, marry young sex because you can't do it to you, you can't know, do it till you're married. Yeah. Um, did, but were, yeah, were, out of control, sorry.
2: I've got to ask, were you, did you know who you were going to get set up with from a young age or was it someone you picked?
1: It's a really good question, to be fair. And the honest answer is, is is that you don't have many to choose from. Because you do actually as a male, because the males outweigh the women. I think it's one to five on average um, for an age range of between sort of two and three years. Um and I, I certainly wouldn't say I had a, a range marriage, but you really don't have many. If you're, you know, in, in your congregation, you're not going to have many that are going to be your age. So there was kind of probably two that I probably could, could, have, could have got. Well, I didn't, wouldn't say pick from, but there was only one that was interested, to be fair. Um, and so, 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 yeah, and that was the first one that was breathing. You, You get married to, you know, that's that's and that's usually the way it is. Interestingly enough, actually, just to go off off a little bit, um, I remember uh, my dad, before he died, he he said to me in this sort of proud way, he goes, do you know how many marriages last in the Jehovah's Witnesses over other marriages outside of it? He said, said, we are so good at keeping couples together. To which my response was, how many of them are happy? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: How many of them are happy? I said, look around your congregation. How many of those couples do you think are actually happy? Of which he was very quiet. Because the thing is is that you get married to somebody that you probably shouldn't get married to. And you put up and you shut up because Armageddon will fix everything. And you know, and if you and if you aren't getting on very well, don't worry, Armageddon's coming soon, you know. Or Jehovah will sort out these problems. But yeah, your hormones from that age, the first thing you want to do is get married.
2: (laughs) So what was it like dating back then? So you, you have yeah. your pick of two girls. One of them's interested. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: I mean, this is the thing you see is is that you know your dating is is very strict. You know, you 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 chaperone. you
2: chaperone, Caul- yeah, in. Well,
1: that that those are the two famous expressions in the Jehovah's Witnesses are chaperone and courting. You know, when you start courting, it's with a view to be married you know um, that was it
2: cinema dates or
1: Yeah, cinema dates but you'd always have a third wheel you know um and the the first time that me and my first wife had a conversation with the door locked behind us was on our wedding night you know that's how serious it is Who you was have... your chaperone then usually her brother to be fair um but it would be anyone <laughs> was he giving you daggers <laughs> a little bit <laughs> like um
2: sussing you yeah i uh,
1: i guess so um But it would be anyone that was breathing, essentially. You know, we'll take it wherever you could get. But, you know, even to the point where you weren't even supposed to travel in the car alone. You know, I mean, it was that serious um, in terms of having a a chaperone, having somebody with you at all times. You know, forgetting about the fact that actually God's looking at you at all times anyway. But, you know, that was their rules. And Armageddon's coming. Yeah, of course, exactly. As
0: much as your hormones were kicking in because you were a virgin, was there also a sense of intimidation or anxiety going into your nuptials?
2: (laughs) And how long you, yeah. had you been caught in before you
1: got married uh, a year i think it was, oh, that's quite yeah, it was a year yeah, um, yeah I mean <laughs> coming coming back to you, your point again yeah it was um it was very difficult you know because um you're doing what's you 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 want to do what's natural at that age you know, and uh, when you are suppressing that it does affect you mentally you know massively, knowing that I'm not even allowed to masturbate because obviously that would be a you know that would be at least one way of being able to control it, but no, you're not allowed it's to. Did you
0: not try to? Pressure.
2: Well, you said you watched porn and stuff. Mm. Were you not masturbating at all then? No. What? No.
1: It was just sort of a little bit of a. Um, Make my head explode. explode. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know how to though. That's the point. Do you know what I mean? You're not. You. You don't know how to.
0: Um So the tension's just building and building until you get married.
2: Oh wow. Yes, <laughs> yeah. but
0: how do I say
1: this? It, uh, you know, we, we're being very open and I think it's important. It's an open it's important. space. It's an open space, but these are things that I'm sure other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or even current Jehovah's Witnesses will experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's our wedding night. What do we do now? Do you, do you know what I mean? And it was so awkward, uh, you know, and I'm sure that lots of other Jehovah's Witness couples have had this knowing, okay, yeah, we're not allowed to do that. Are we allowed to do that? I saw a look in the book. Are we allowed to do that? You know, so you're if, sat
2: there with a book on yeah. your
1: wedding night. Yeah, not necessarily on our wedding night, but you know, at <laughs> other times, are we allowed this position? I don't know. Are we allowed to have this practice? It's not very sexy, is it? No, do you no, know what no. I mean? Clinical. And I never, in the whole of our marriage, I was never able to, shall we say, finish the job when I, in the whole of term of our first marriage. But, the thing is, is that I
2: don't think I'm alone with
1: that. Because, a retro,
2: Sorry, is it erectile dysfunction?
1: No, 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 no. that was fine. That worked just Orgasm. fine. Orgasm. Yes. Um, that was, you know, that was, um,
0: I could never achieve it. Psychological, isn't it, probably? Because there was a lot of Pressure. abnormal things yeah. and pressures. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Getting a book out at the end of the bed. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, it was, it was, um, it was very difficult and extremely frustrating. And it really was difficult from a mental point of view. And I've never shared this before, but there was one time when I was raging inside, you know, as you would be. And I, one evening, I said I wasn't very well, I'm not going to the meeting tonight. So she left and I went to my local uh, place. You didn't, the internet wasn't really a massive sort of thing then. And I reached for the top shelf, got a DVD and whatever. And I tried my hardest to orgasm and I still couldn't. And it was it was so, so difficult. Um, And like I say, even when you are married, because sex has been such a taboo subject. And again, going back to what we said earlier, it's what you've been taught from such a young age. Sex is awful. Sex is a bad thing. You're only allowed to do this. You're only allowed to do that. And so I don't think I was alone in terms of, you know, what I went through, you know, and going that deep, I, I, I think, I'm sure I wasn't alone with that. Um, it's probably why a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses don't end up having children. I don't know if they know how to. Is that a statistic, you know. is it? I yeah, know they that. They're certainly, they're certainly um, it, it's, it's not uncommon for couples to be married and never, ever have children. You know, that's fairly common. And you do wonder sometimes, uh, uh, this is just purely my opinion. There is no facts attached to this at all. It's purely my opinion. I wonder if it is because they just simply don't know how to. because 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 to be with such a difficult subject but also you are pushed with someone that you might not be compatible with sexually you 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 know you you don't know them intimately you don't know them mentally you don't know them physically you know and and so you might well be have been that you got married to somebody who you just aren't compatible with and you know what that's all it was with my marriage we just weren't good we just weren't compatible you know was she a nice person? I don't want to speak ill of her, to be honest with you, because no. she's not here to defend herself, you know, but, um, we didn't get on, put it that way. That's all, that's all I'll say. You know, we, we didn't get on well. Um, and we, we, there is no way in hell we should have ever, ever got together, you know,
0: um, just wasn't good, wasn't good. So the pressures then and the indoctrination can put people off sex for the rest of their lives, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, definitely. It? Of course it is. And I, I imagine that there are going to be couples out there that have got married to the Jehovah's Witnesses and will never, ever have sex because the suppression gets to them that much. You know, wow. um, and that's probably why a lot of them go off the rails mentally as well because of the suppression. We'll get to that. Yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. So yes, uh you're married. Your marriage isn't that great, so you decide to have an affair. A bit more complicated than that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go into it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs>
1: but yeah, me and my first wife, we we had our our problems, and we and we separated. Um when you're a Jehovah's Witness, you aren't allowed a divorce. You are allowed a legal separation. There are they are different as things. It's a bit of a loophole. So you're allowed a legal separation, which is where the two of you separate, but you don't. But you stay married. But you stay married. So here I was in this unhappy marriage, which I now had to stay in. And because uh, it, you know we were we were legally separated but not divorced.
0: So you're living together still? Yeah. No,
1: we at that point we've 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 two so separate homes, but yeah. you, you're still together. Still married, yeah, but legally separated. Do you have to see them?
2: No, 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 no not at all. Not um, at church? or
1: something? Yeah, you'll see them at that uh, for that. But I think when legal separations happen, usually one of them might move congregation just to make it a bit less awkward. Um, but yeah, so we had a legal separation, not a divorce, because divorce is unbiblical. So the only way you are allowed divorce is, of course, if one of them is unfaithful, um, of which it was me. So uh, in the end, um, so was that a divorce strategy? No, not at all. <laughs> it was it, no, it was never, it was never ever something that was you know I'd done deliberately. Well, obviously, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I did, I, it wasn't the intention because it was like, oh cool, I can, you can get divorced now. It wasn't that at all. Um, there was. Um, I feel so sorry for the the women in the Jehovah's Witnesses for reasons that we've already spoken about, but particularly elders' wives. So lonely for them because their man is going off, interfering with everybody else's families, and it's such a lonely place for them. What do you mean
2: interfere with other people's families? Well,
1: because the thing is, is that if if someone was having problems in their marriage or whatever, it would always be it wouldn't be counsellors or anything. it would be elders that would go and interfere and you know look after the families and whatever. Um, And elders would be always doing these shepherding visits. And what they mean by a shepherding visit is that they would go around and just sort of... But anyway, they're not qualified to do this. They would just go around and say, um, you know, are you and your family all okay? And it was almost like a bit of a, uh, you know, and they'd they'd be sort of looking through your DVD shelf and seeing, you know, if you're towing the line as a good Jehovah's Witness and all that kind of thing. But because of how often all the elders were doing that, the the elders' wives do get very lonely. Um, One of them got very lonely to the point where she... She, she, she was a young elder's wife and had sort of taken a bit of a shine to me, shall we say. Um, how did that come about? Like, how
0: did you notice that?
1: Um, well, it was it was back in the days. This is before sort of the lights of any sort of dating apps or anything. We, we, had, we had this thing called MSN Chat. Do you remember MSN oh Chat? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, <laughs> this was sort of the, you know, this was kind sort of the first thing. And I was talking to her, I think it might have been nephew. And she said, oh, and he introduced, me, he introduced us and we just started chatting. And that was that really. And she said, hey, I'm coming down to, uh, she was working in my local area. And she said, oh, did you fancy getting together for a drink? Um, I'll pop over. And I'm like, yeah, no, fine. That's no problem at all.
2: Did you think it was innocent to begin with? I did.
1: Really? I did. Um, as soon as the, she opened the door and starts Doing things to me, I kind of got a different thing. Right, where <laughs> is the door open? <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing, you see, this isn't somebody that I loved. It's not even necessarily someone that I necessarily found attractive.
2: What, uh, sorry, what happened? She opened the door to you. Mm. Okay. Yeah, approached you. Yeah. Approached me. Maybe start, a kiss. Start. Yeah, starts putting a hand down my around
1: my waist and starts Ooh. taking my clothes off and stuff. And this, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. <laughs> Lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already spoken about the suppression mm. and how I felt as a man, and how I felt as a, you know, I, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop of course, it yeah. because because of all this th- stuff that had been going on and all of the suppression. You're a red and the sex. male. The your tension has been rising yeah.
0: even throughout your
1: marriage. And what she did is yeah. release the tension. Yeah, she released the tension and. I, to be honest with you, it could have, it could have been, it could have been anybody to be honest with you without being disrespectful to the, to the woman, because actually she was perfectly lovely, but that's what it was. It was the release of this tension. You know, I didn't even think about, oh, I'm going to get this fellowship now, <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to lose my family and all that kind of thing. No, I, that wasn't even in my, in my plethora. It was just, it's just a relief, you know, Yes. um, and that's all it was and 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 yeah, um, I actually didn't even know that she was married to an elder at the time, you know she told me she was separated, she told me that she was in we were in the same position that we were both separated um i didn't know that she was actually married to an elder, not in my congregation in a different one. How did yeah. you find yeah. out? it wasn't until my judicial hearing, which is your discipline uh, from the elders, I didn't even realise until that point. So how long did this yeah, go on then?
2: Yeah, was it a one-time
1: once. Time thing? Yeah, once. Just, it
0: was just happened once, mm.
1: and wow. you got busted right away. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Who yeah. did someone pick up on something? Uh, there were there were people out there were people outside my house. Oh. Yeah, and this isn't an uncommon, you know. For if 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 people think there are there are certain things that are going on, did you tell someone or did no. she tell someone? No, no, somebody... snitches,
0: snoopers, and snitches outside the house peeping. Yeah, that's what? what goes on, you know. They
1: there were people outside. They outside just reported of the that house. she'd
0: gone in, and that looked a bit yeah, and out they, of and, the they take, and they're taking a picture, yeah. Oh, and they photographed wow. as well, yeah, yeah. But there was no proof that anything had happened.
1: No, no. It doesn't need to be, does it? No, they don't. There doesn't. No. Know, to be fair, and, I, I, and to be honest with you, when they challenged on me, I didn't didn't deny it. Um, so, but yeah, that's what they do, and um, you know, even even after I was this fellowship, you'd still get people sitting outside. Your house monitoring your behaviour. Go back,
0: go back, go back. Yeah. How did it come about in your life that you had been caught? How were you notified? Um,
1: I was notified about two weeks later when I got a call from a local elder to say, um, we are inviting you to a judicial committee or judicial hearing, shall we say, of which I said, well, what? what am i charged with and he said we can't tell you until you're here so uh so yeah that was the first that was the first notification shall we what
0: went through your head at that moment shit shit shit, shit, shit. Yeah. did you know it was that right away yeah, or did you go yeah. through other possibilities
1: well i i thought that, that i assumed that's what it was going to be but i i didn't know how they know i didn't know how they know um
2: so did you yeah. ever monitored anyone's behavior before no, no. So you didn't that. know
1: this? Like they were. I doing knew. This I knew. It ha- I, I'd heard through the grapevine that it happened, but you know, I sort of yeah, I didn't realise that that was it was actual. At thing. that
0: moment, when you realised it was probably that, mm-hmm. did you fully understand the outcome of what could happen at this uh, well, judicial?
1: Not really. To be fair, because I think there were um, no, not really, because I, I th- I, you don't really know. I, I mean, you you, ha- you basically have three types of discipline. A judicial hearing. One of them is a private reproof, which is where they reprimand you for what you're doing. You've admitted you are repentant, and uh, they might ban you from like a ministry or from commenting on, at their meetings or ban you from praying that kind of thing. You have a public reproofing, where you are reprimanded, and then at the Thursday meeting, an elder will go up on the platform and say, "Jason has been has been has been reproved, but has admitted repentance." So they'll say that publicly in front of everyone to humiliate you. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And the third one, which is the biggest, most severe punishment, is disfellowshipping,
0: which was what, obviously, I got. Um, well, before we get to that then, yeah, let's go back again. So they've notified yeah. you now. Are you coming up with a game plan? Are you, are you reaching out to her, asking if, her if she's been notified?
1: No, no, uh, no, nothing like that. I didn't want to drag her into it um i think she kind of dragged herself into it yeah i guess fair. so yeah but i didn't i you know i, I didn't, knew through the front door <laughs> so yeah uh, no i I didn't want to do that and i didn't blame anybody and the, to be honest with you by that point i was so depressed i didn't really care to be honest with you um mm. you know i, so I it was what, a catalyst in a no, way very much so yeah um and the judicial hearing was horrible you know um
0: Just describe going yeah. in who's facing you what kind of a room is it
1: um <laughs> so do you remember the classroom that you had? The the old fashioned classrooms where you have a just one desk in front of you. Yes. So there were three of them, all sat in a sort of semicircle, and then one chair there. So you walk walking into a kingdom hall, interview um, style, very interview style. Yeah, up on
0: big chairs, and you've got a little. If you, can, if
1: you can imagine, if you can imagine Dragons Den, you know, imagine yeah. sort of that style, and you're sitting on a chair, and then they asking you questions. Um, they sort of dim the lights a little bit as well. Again, just to sort of, I don't know if that's, maybe it's done deliberately. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, And it's usually in the evening as well. Um, Certainly that's what mine was as well. And again, I don't know if that's done deliberately or not, but yeah, that's um, that. And I I remember just absolutely bricking it, going into it, you know, and told my mum and dad, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen to me. Then, oh no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine or whatever. Um, So yeah, having no
2: idea what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. Did your parents at that point know what the issue was?
2: No. So you didn't tell them? Mm -hmm. They were not done the wiser?
1: No.
0: Take us through the hearing then? What was the first things that were said?
1: Well, I'd I'd never heard of anybody going to a judicial hearing before. I had no idea what was going to be said. And then out come the photos. Out come the, we know you've done this, Jason. Why don't you just admit it? And then the questions they were asking, did you make a climax? How many fingers did you use? did you did she perform oral and anal you know th- th- oh. i mean you are talking oh, graphic shit. information i i got off lightly from what i know some people have gone into but they 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 go dark with the there and everything oh no no man, my parents man. no no okay. the judicial hearing okay. is just the three elders and you there isn't okay. anybody on the singular else in singular gotcha, chair. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but yeah this is the stuff that they were asking you know um did she te- you know I, and and this is the thing and oh. and the and like I say, and then all these photos have come out of like, this is, you know, the, this what, is what And what we've was seeing. the
2: photos of you walking into the house? Yeah, yeah, of,
1: of her walking into, walking walking into, into my into house some, and then walking yeah. out of my house. Yeah. Just yeah. them two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there, there was another one where the two of us were in my van, I think it was, which we'd, we'd just gone out to get a bite to eat and someone had taken a picture of us in the van. So they've obviously been following us as well. So... Secret so, police? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, so, of course, there was no denying it. I could not get away from it. So... I ended up telling them everything. I mean, I wish I could go back into that room now and say, "What the fuck business is it of yours, mate?" You know, I wish I could go back into that room now and tell them that this—that you, this is none of your business—and how dare you corner somebody like me? Bear, bear in mind, at that time, I would like be twenty-three. I think at that time, you're going to have—you're going to have children of sixteen years old that are going to face exactly the same treatment. That's disturbing, you know, that they're going to ask that those kind of questions, you know um i i know of i know of um various cases shall we say and there was one that was that was that was famous and you can people can research this where a woman was um had a judicial hearing for having sex outside of wedlock she was raped right oh she God. was raped and the person got convicted for it but the doctrine of the watchtower is is if you, it, it, it's if you bring it on yourself. So for instance, she'd gone out in the evening, she was wearing a, you know, what they would deem a provocative skirt and that kind of thing. And the, they say that if you have, if, if you don't call out to the police while you're being raped, they would see that as you consenting. Mm. Of which she was disfellowshipped for.
0: What? Oh, shit.
1: So, like I say, I got off lightly, I think, it's in comparison. Crucial. But, Disgusting. but, but she had to go through these same questions. as what I have. Did he did all you the wait, no. Did
2: he? Did he all, yeah. That, well, that, absolutely. Man. Yeah. Um, but girl. these are
1: the these are the questions that you get asked. Like I say, I think in comparison, I got off lightly. But it was still really hard to hit. Really hard to talk about. You know, um, with everything else that you know, you were feeling emotionally and mentally as it was.
2: And how long did know. it go on for? About
0: an hour. Did they give you a judgment at the end of it? Yeah. 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 what did they say to you
1: they said we've decided to disfellowship you you know that's well, how,
0: what went for your head at that point
1: I think it was how am I going to tell my parents I suppose mm. that was the big thing um yeah it, it I remember the still can remember the walk back to my car and I just remember literally just like grabbing my tie and shirt and just ripping it off me because I yeah very much so because I was so disgraced at what I'd done you know um so humiliated felt so unworthy
2: wow.
1: bear in mind i still believe this is the true religion and i'm being punished from god that was what i thought you know this is discipline from god these people are godly men and they are giving me this judgment because you know this is what i deserve you know and that's what i thought I th- and i'm sure that that's what went through goes through other people said well this is what i deserve this is this is i am not worthy you know um that is what goes through your head and i remember that walk home and just you know just feeling this anger uh, to myself of how I felt.
0: How did you broach it to your yeah. parents?
1: I couldn't bring myself to tell my mum. I told my dad and confided in him. What and he was actually really nice about it. He just went, okay. He said, we'll get through it. Don't worry. You know, he said, make the appropriate steps to get back in and you'll be fine. Um, which I did. And, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and I, I assumed then he would have told my mother Um, but yeah, that was, he was actually, my dad was really good about it. My dad was very, very level headed and he understood some of the stuff that I'd gone through. And I always had a great relationship with my dad and, you know, he'd take me to various places. He was one of these sort of quite edgy Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You're not allowed, um, to, you're not supposed to, Shall we say, go to football matches because it's deemed to be competitive. This isn't allowed. Um, but there was no sort of doctrine in, I certainly wouldn't have been allowed to go to an international football match because that would be nationalistic and, you know, they have to remain neutral, but he didn't see anything wrong with taking me to just a normal football match. And he got told off by elders, but he was like, Oh, sorry, right. I could do it if I want. And, I also got told off for going to Alton Towers and going on white knuckle rides. Um, because this, and this is again, something I was counseled for. And my dad was like, shut up, you know, he, he can do this if he wants. And the thing is, is that my dad would, would sort of live close to the edge where he would never get disciplined for it, but he would push it as far as he possibly could. And I always respected him for that, you know, cause he was Not a bit sassy areas. with it. Mm-hmm. And he liked, he liked the gray areas because it means we could have a bit of fun, you know, um, and he'd always been very very respectful and um, the relationship with him was always very very strong and um, and like I say when I told him it was you know look don't worry about it you know we'll get through it that kind of thing um, he was actually really really good about it
0: yeah what about the elder's wife what, what was going on with her at that I, same time
1: I, I don't know I never saw her again I never spoke to her again so I, to I this day I, to this day I don't know what she faced whether or not she got um, whether or not she got disfellowshipped or got disciplined in any way I, I, it's n- nothing to do with making I can marriage. imagine she
2: did. So what not are me. the steps after being disfellowshipped? Uh, do you have to move out your house? Hell, or? hell. Hell. Yeah, it's 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 horrible.
1: Because the doctrine doesn't change. You are not allowed friends outside of this organization. You are not allowed, you know, to have a secular career. And you have to adhere to this shunning. And this is the thing that keeps people in it. And the only way I can describe it to people is imagine that you're in a house with all of your family and you go to sleep at night. And in the morning you wake up and nobody knows who you are. And that was the treatment I got. And um, yeah, all of these friends that I'd known for 20 years just would ignore me in the street, you know, oh. including my own sister. You know. Um I remember seeing her once and she just walked the other side of the road when she saw I was coming. Um So that's the first thing. Adhere to all the shunning.
2: Heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. Brain in mind I've got no one to talk to because I'm not allowed any outside help. Um the the, the the ment the thing that's going on mentally is uh is becoming harder and harder and harder. Um and the the other thing that you have to do is is you have to go to the meetings which is their their church so you have to go to their meetings you have to sit at the back and you need to come in just as the first song is being done and you need to leave just after the just as the last song is being done no socializing no talking to anyone no looking at anyone um yeah um and I did that for about six months you you they, they say you're supposed to do it for about a year before they'll kind of let you back in but i i did it for six months then i wrote my letter to say you know i'm ready to come back of which they uh said no toy um, up yeah wow yeah. um so yeah it was it was mental torture for for those six months bearing in mind at that point as well um i'd become you know unbelievably depressed <sighs> um say. stopped working stopped eating um house got um repossessed um so my house got repossessed was living under a bridge for a, a number of weeks wow. um yeah it was it was tough it was really tough you know um that that sort of november december of 2008 january 2009 you know onwards was the was the toughest time and didn't didn't even weren't even allowed to talk to my parents you know um very lonely very very difficult so
0: when you submitted this letter then Mm. trying to get back in and then how did you know that that was rejected they rung me up and told me straight away wow And what was your parents reaction to
1: that they just said, keep going. Because I told, I, that was the that was the only time I spoke to them was to say, look, it's been, re-. I told them I was putting it in. They were obviously like, hey, you know, and then. Did and they then just was, say simply it's been rejected or did they give you a reason? They said it's been rejected because we haven't had a long enough time to see if you're actually repentant. That was their, that was their term.
0: yeah It's like another six months of shunning. Is that what they were thinking?
1: Yeah, that's what they were, that's what they oh, were ideal. expecting. Yeah, so it was, um yeah. And, and like I say, and then, You know, you've got you've got nothing, and you know you don't even have a home to go back to. You know, Um, yeah, you lost
2: your home. mm, Yeah, yeah.
1: the the streets The streets of Lincolnshire are quite cold on and in December on the December as well. Well, yeah, it was December two thousand and eight and January two thousand and nine. Yeah, um, it was it was tough, and you know, um, yeah. I mean, I I sort of think my lucky stars that I was you know still able to move. I was still able to breathe. Um, I found ways of being able to still sort of feed myself on a daily basis. I would, you know, often walk 10, 12 miles a day, you know, I'd go and find some little jobs to do and whatever within the town, earn a little bit of money, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it was just a basic every day for survival that's what it was. were you yeah. still
0: planning on getting back in after mm. another six months? At I that still point? believed
1: it to be truth. I mean I mean, look like I say you have no other you have no other thing. you don't know anybody outside of your uh, outside of your bubble, and that's what they do. that's what suppresses them and that's what keeps everybody in because you don't because you're not allowed any outside opportunity you're not allowed any outside help.
0: What about yeah. the people that you bumped into walking the streets of Lincoln? Were yeah, they did, not, did anyone ask you what what your situ- what your situation was?
1: What, in terms of Jehovah's Witnesses
0: or well, in just, terms of... No, just, just anyone?
1: Um, One. And it was actually, I'd, I'd ended, ended up um, cleaning some windows in this, um, it was a little town uh, near Spalding, which is in Lincolnshire. And she asked me what was going on and told her everything. You know, I just broke down because this is the first time anyone had spoken to me in months. You know, and I broke down and she said, I've got a spare bed here. You come and come and stay if you want. Um, I knew her boyfriend from school and I happened to bump into him while I was cleaning, cleaning the house. And, um, you know, they, they agreed that it was okay. And I'm like, I've got a bed, I've got a bed to sleep in, you know, I've got running water, you know? Um, and it, it was, you know, to this day, you know, Julie is my guardian angel, you know, she was the only, the first time that, Someone cares, you know. And yeah, it it was a hard time, but you realise there are still good people out there, you know. That that they they're not interested in your past; they don't care where you've come from, you know. But she was the first one that you know. From at that point, there are other people outside of this religion that really care. First time I'd really seen it in a woman as well, you know, because obviously I'd not seen it in my mother for my whole life and there she was yeah because
0: the world
2: the
1: world world must have
0: seemed so cruel at that point then. yeah did that restore your faith in humanity a bit then this guardian angel coming into your life very
1: much so yeah yeah um oh wow It, it, it was an opportunity to rebuild you know um i started started writing music that kind of thing you know just to release some of the emotion you know um Still believe this whole Jehovah's Witness religion was truth, but yeah, it it was um, it was the first person that I'd spoken to in in months, and it was like fuck, this person really cares. You know? Did
0: you have a series of conversations with her as you lived there?
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, and then with her neighbours and that kind of thing as well, you know. And I'd sort of started to see a normal way. Of I life. Start, I started to sort of, I don't know. I guess sort of start seeing people that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's like fuck, these people are actually really cool they're really nice, you know, and they've welcomed this stranger into the neighbourhood, you know. Um, It was the first time I sort of started to connect with other people outside of the religion, yeah. Big up, Judy.
0: Were those people, like, asking you about your belief system?
1: No, because they just weren't, you know, it was just because that's what religion should be and people sort of, you know, some people I'm sure sort of think that I want to see this whole religion be brought down and people to stop believing it. I don't, I, you know, people should be entitled to believe what they won't want to believe. I want to see them reformed and stop this awful behavior that goes on every day. Um, But they, they were just interested in me. You know, they were interested in me and what I liked and what were my hobbies and, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't about,
2: Hey, do you believe in God? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So would you say this is how, in your words, Pandora's box opened to the, yeah. Yeah. And it was that, it,
1: you know, there were so many things going around in my head. So many things going around in my head. My own sister shunning me in the street. This blind person that would challenge me on my beliefs. <laughs> These people that are actually really nice. What is going on? What, uh, you know, is this, is this really God's religion? You know, when this is how I am feeling, is this God's way, is this God's punishment because if this is God's religion, I don't want anything to do with it, you know. And it was at that point I started going, okay, well, if I'm going to go down this rabbit hole and it or, or equally, if, I, if I'm going to go back to this religion, I better make sure it's the true one. And so for the first time, I asked a question outside of the religion and, you know, big up to all you ex-Jehovah's Witnesses because you now own the Internet when it comes to this. Because at that time, obviously the internet was there, youtube was you know was was just started coming on the up, and people were making videos and I'm like, these guys have experienced the same thing, but then you start learning about Jehovah's witnesses and the dark secrets that they have, the way they cover up child abuse, which is something that you've obviously spoken about on your podcast before it's a thing it's serious, it happens. Um your the, the way that, you know, they've um covered up the dealings with the UN, the way that they've um uh their their failed prophecies, I mean we were talking about Armageddon earlier. They've predicted Armageddon is coming in nineteen fourteen, Rutherford predicted it was going to happen in nineteen twenty five, and then um it was also predicted by Nathan Norr it would happen in nineteen seventy five. The scriptures clearly state, state in Deuteronomy, if somebody preaches a prophecy in the name of Jehovah and that thing does not come to pass, that prophet must die. That's what it says in their Bible. And I, bearing in mind, I'm still a Bible believer, you know. I, I mean, I haven't thrown the baby out of the bathwater, you know. At least, uh, at least that's how I would have deemed it then, anyway. So I'm like, well, these guys have given false prophecies before. And they're doing this, 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 and this. And I'm like, I can't square this. And so now I know I can't return to this religion. I know too much. I can't go back in with a clean conscience. It was at that point I was just like, no, no more.
2: I, I, I'm i not going to rejoin. What was you know? the first fact crunching piece of information you acquired, oh. I guess? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it was... It's difficult to say because I think it was one domino falling over and then the rest of them, you know. Um, But I think for me, it was probably the lack of love. I think out of everything, it was the lack of compassion from elders. It was the lack of empathy for people. Um, That's what I think for me was the thing that probably was the first thing. And then everything else would fell off the back of
0: it. Were you able to communicate this to your parents? Hmm.
1: I went round to see them. Bearing in mind, they, they knew I hadn't attended the meetings for quite some time. I called them and said, look, you know, I think I need to pop round and tell you why. And I sat down with them and I said, I'm never going back. I said, I'm never going back. To which they were heartbroken and my dad stood up and he said, well, you'll die at Armageddon. And that was it left, closed the door. And that was it. Cause they knew that was it for them. You know, I think the thing is, is while I was still trying to get back in, they were still kind of talking to me, but kind of not, um, just kind of doing it on the QT. As Soon as I said that they wanted nothing more to do with me.
0: Were you still believing in Armageddon at that point? Are we becoming sceptical?
1: Very sceptical. Yeah, yeah. And what I knew is, is that I know this isn't the right religion, but I don't know what is. I don't yet know what truth is, but I know this isn't it. And that was the that was the
0: thing. How alone um, did you feel then leaving that conversation?
1: Um, it was actually a relief, to be honest with was you, it? more than anything. It was like because I had I had to have this conversation. You know, I know some people choose to maybe not have that conversation, you know, and try to just sort of let it slide if you like, but I'm like, no, I want to be honest. You know, um, I think it was more of a, a relief at the fact that I've told him now, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly it was, certainly it was hard mentally knowing that I'm probably not going to see him again, probably not ever speak to him again. That's hard, but, um, I am glad that I said something to them. You know, I, I, I wanted to have that conversation.
0: Yeah. Where were you living at this point of the story?
1: Um, I was living in a I was living in a little flat in Bourne, um, backed onto a bakery, it was great. Um yeah. I'd I'd managed to um I was living with Julie, I, you know, and I'd managed to get myself in a job in a call centre. And of course I was fucking brilliant in a call centre. <laughs> what's that? You want me to make fifty I want to have You you want, me, you want me to make fifty calls a day and try to try to sell insurance? Yeah, i can fucking do that.
2: Come
1: on. <laughs> you know? And people are going saying, Oh, this is so difficult. I'm like Mate, are you serious? You think this Top is difficult? Oh, <laughs> I but, and, I was, and I was pretty good at it. Do you know what I mean? I was really good at it because I was so resilient. And, you know, I didn't have a problem with people telling me to fuck off. I'd had that my whole <laughs> life, you know. What I did have is I had some money. I had running water. I had a bed. I had a roof over my head. And so, and Julie, blessed it, she never took a penny off me. Never, oh. ever took any. She said, look, you need to, you know, you want need to get back on your feet and um
0: hopefully she'll watch this <laughs> um, hopefully Shout yeah out to she's,
1: she's she's a wonderful human being and um and yeah and um and so yeah i'd managed to get enough money to get a deposit on a flat in Bourne in lincolnshire 200 pound a month it cost me so you can imagine kind of how tiny it was but it was still good you know but it was mine i had this little mm-hmm. pad now you know so that's where i was that's where i was living at the time
2: yeah i mean how do you begin to heal from all of that <sighs>
1: I mean, I certainly never did any of the stuff that, you know, Sean's done before, you know. The parties I had were, were, were like the Queen's
0: Tea Party in comparison. You must have slowly built up a social life, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. but it's the, you know, the suppression is a cold spring, you know. And when you realise that this isn't true anymore, fuck, I can go and have sex. I can go, you know, I can drink, you know, I can, you know. I can go to Alton Towers without feeling guilty about it, you know. I mean, honestly, it is like it is like that. So it is, um, you know, it's a big thing, and I went mental. So you, know what would I mean? you say you were a Whole bit off adventures. the rails? Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I a would say I'd got yeah gone gone a bit wild, maybe gone a little bit mad. But I think it was more of a ha- you know it was more of this happiness. And don't get me wrong, underneath the surface, I'm I'm, I'm scarred, you know, um, of what I've been through. But it was this release that I can now start planning my own my own life and I can choose my own destination. And this is what I say to any ex Jehovah's Witness or Jehovah's Witness, even current one that are watching it, brave of you to watch by the way. Um you can pick your destination in life. These bastards don't have to pick it for you. And I know plenty of people that leave and they never find a destination because they're so stuck.
2: Because they believe in
1: Armageddon. Because they believe Armageddon is still coming. And I have this all the time when people still believe Armageddon is coming or they believe that Jehovah's Witnesses' message is to help people. And it's not. It's dark. Um, So, yeah, underneath I'm scarred. But actually, I'm, I'm trying to make the most out of my life, you know, and I'm trying to work out what truth is. You know, I'm trying to work out. Well, I've got. 25 years to make up you know what do i want to do as a career you know do i want to go into education what are my beliefs what are my um what are my morals what are my um you know what what are my goals in life what do i want what do i want to achieve you know um those are the questions that i'm now starting to ask did and it, what was your understanding of women around this time? Because start, obviously... Yeah, good question.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I, I, met, I met a number at the call centre, to be fair, and the, and the call centre was, was owned by, by a woman. You know, um, she'd built this business up from scratch and now she's got, you know, 100, 200 people working for her.
0: I'm like, fuck,
1: this woman's amazing, you know. Power woman. Very much so. Yeah. And you just sort of think... And I did, she was probably the sort of first businesswoman that I'd met. Um, I didn't stay in the call centre for, a, a, you know... A massive period of time I moved into the world of recruitment um stayed in there for about eight years and again recruitment is one of these things where it's very difficult to work in because it's very dog eat dog and again it never really bothered me because I was like I can handle all this but the leader of that again was uh was again was a woman you know um so being raised in a
0: the patriarchy then mm, yeah. that mess of your head of it.
1: yeah very much so yeah but in a really good way because now my mind was open you know my mind was open to all things including people that wanted to have sex with the same gender, you know, and again, this is something that is obviously an ugly thing when you're a Jehovah's Witness, so you come out of this, you know, misogynist you come out of it, you know, homophobe that's, you are, it's just as simple as that, so, you know to actually unravel all these things, and then i I'd met, you know I'd met gay people, and I and I reconnected to also, to also family members that were,
2: were not yeah mm. that
1: were not Jehovah's Witnesses. One of them being my cousin James, who was you know a, a very proud homosexual, you know who i who I had shunned for many a decade, not decade, but a many, for many a years, um, because of obviously me being a Jehovah's Witness and him being, you know, a homosexual. So what was his story? So he um, was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Never got baptized, so he could still kind of, he managed to sort of sneak away when he was sort of 14, 15. And, um, yeah, he was able to uh, still have this relationship with his parents. Um, but, and I'm only saying this because of the stuff that he's told me, um, very difficult relationship with his dad who, was, who became a Jehovah's Witness elder um, because he had to admit to him that he was gay. So it's one thing leaving the religion, but to then say, "Oh yeah, by the way, I'm gay," that's a different situation altogether. But I was able to reconnect with with with, uh, with my cousin, and um, yeah, we were able to have some really good times <clears throat> prior to his uh, uh, prior to his death. Um, and it was it was really nice to be able to have. It was nice that he'd forgiven me, mm. you know,
2: um, for the yeah for, for the
1: way I used to treat him
0: yeah. so under the Jehovah's Witness uh, rules then is it death at Armageddon if is you are gay, gay? Yeah. is that a thing
2: well, I can't imagine it be any different can you yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> it is yeah of course yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah they might dress it up a slightly different way but yeah absolutely they will say that
0: yeah so his relationship with, with his parents once he's told his dad that what happened then um, I mean they, they it
1: was difficult for him for many years and um, you know, any any son wants to just make their dad proud. You know, any son, every son's going to want to do that. Um, I'd I'd met up with James for a, a a coffee. Sorry, you don't mind me using his name, do you? No, no, no that's no. fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we'd met up and had a had a coffee, um, and we were just having a chat about, you know, just in general. He seemed really, he seemed really content. He seemed really happy. And we sort of got talking about family and stuff and how dysfunctional our family had been and all that kind of thing. But he seemed really happy. He he wasn't underneath. You know, he just wanted to be accepted by his father. That's all it was. He just wanted to be accepted by his father. And he... He was living in Brighton, and Brighton, obviously being a, a you know a place where he could express himself, he'd had a a conversation with his uh with his dad that night. No one really knows what was said, but the next day, his body was at the bottom of a cliff. Oh my god! And it was it, it was torture for him, you know. I mean, all of this stuff that I had felt, he had obviously felt as well. Probably suppressed even more because of his, oh, wow. you know, because of his situation. And I remember getting the phone call. And, you just die inside, you know. And what made me really angry, really angry at his funeral, he had a Jehovah's Witness service Shut from his dad. Up. And I'm like. And. My auntie Pat had to hold me back because I was ready to go and lamp him. Because I was like, this is what has caused this. Do you not realise? Are, are you that deranged that you don't think that for one second that the treatment that you gave him has not affected him mentally? That's maybe why he's in this situation.
0: Were well, they in complete denial?
1: Complete mm. denial. Complete denial. Funny enough, it was at the funeral when I'd seen my mum and dad.
0: How long had it been?
1: Three years, maybe four years. Yeah. The only time I'd seen him previously was the birth of my son. And um, I'd seen him at the birth of my son. And uh, the reason why was because um, when Luke was born, there was some complications, shall we say. So I rung my dad and I said, hey, look, you guys are grandparents. Just wanted to let you know. And then when there were some complications and we didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. So why don't you just come over? I said, just put it to one side for one minute. I don't care what you believe in. Just come and see your grandson, please. I'm begging you. You you kill yourself if you don't. You know, probably the wrong thing to say. But anyway, but this is this is reality. This is reality. (laughs) My dad said, well, if that is the case, would you? mind waiting in reception while we go to see him so we haven't got to see you i'm like you've got to be kidding me anyway they did it on the qt they came and saw their grandchild i'm really glad they did to be fair yeah and yeah i didn't have a conversation with him until see james's funeral
0: um What how did that conversation turn out
1: i was distraught james was you know I mean, we—I wouldn't say we were, you know, we 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 certainly weren't, uh, you know, inseparable or whatever. But he was certainly a good friend to me, and you know, someone who I respected dearly. And, um, like any father would, you see your son in a state where I was obviously feeling very emotional. You want to get to him. You want to comfort him. Hundred percent. And he couldn't. Because of the religion telling him that he's not supposed to. So he didn't. That broke my heart even more. Because I tell you, if it was my kid, I'd have been pushing them all out of the way to get to you. But he obeyed. We then went outside. And then he tried to put his arm around me and I pushed him away. I said, Dad, you can't, after all of these years, pretend that you care and that broke his heart. But in that state of emotion, that's how I felt. And people ask if I regret saying that I, I don't, because that was the truth, you know, and it's all very well sort of saying that, you know, you know, these people are victims. I do understand that. I do appreciate that Jehovah's witnesses are victims. They are, but at some point you've got to take responsibility for your own actions and he had a choice there he could have pushed these people out of the way and said no i'm going to go and comfort my son and he chose not to he wanted to do it on the qt and that is what made me angry because it was like yeah this is you know yeah so yeah that was that was difficult but yeah that was the that was the, the last time i'd seen him and um yeah so yeah that was james that was james's funeral and that was that
2: was um yeah it was very difficult so and- that was the last time you've seen your father yeah oh wow yeah, so we can go on to where he is now mm.
1: my dad was such an awesome human being he, he really was he, he, he loved his family dearly he was a hard worker a really great businessman you know he owned various property and that kind of thing was a bit sassy you know stood up to people when he could um, he was my hero you know and he did everything he could for me everything he could with the power that he had but he had the shackles on of the watchtower you know that's what he had to the point where he couldn't consult his own child a funeral you know and mentally he was going through hell he was go. he was going through torture you know January the 2nd, 2000, and uh, what would it have been, 2016, ring the doorbell from the coppers half past two in the morning. They say they found his body in the lake. (laughs) He'd left his his wife and child in in a house and and, um, got into his car, no phone. No wallet, nothing, and he drove his car to a lake and he jumped in, and it it froze to death. Oh my god! Dog walker found his body the next
3: morning. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> and for what? <laughs> believing something indifferent, believing you know, having a different belief to his child, you know. This is what it does to people. When you're a Jehovah's Witness, you are, the statistics say, 10 times more likely to commit suicide. I believe it to be much higher than that. To this day, because suicide is something that is frowned upon by Jehovah's Witnesses, his death went down as heart failure. Not suicide, heart failure, because they didn't want the embarrassment of suicide, right? (sighs) Can we just take a moment to remember this great man? Of course. You know, (sighs) it was just the the pain, the the numbness that I felt knowing that the last words to my dad were in anger. (sighs) It broke me, you know, no one can prepare you for this. And the thing is, is that no one really knew what was going on in his head. I knew, I knew. And to this day, it will still be denied so in the religion. The, it was the pressure. Of course of, it was. Yeah. Everything that I've spoken about that I've been through as a man, he would have gone through as well because all men do. And now it's attached to these with these other pressures that you've now got having a fellowship child. And where does the blame get put me? Because I'm the, I'm the one who's chosen to leave, you know, and this is the thing and this is what I've always been told you're the one that chose to leave jason you're the one who brought this upon yourself um i remember going to his um i wasn't allowed at his wake my my mother told me i wasn't i wasn't welcome so um i didn't go to his wake i wanted to um Whoa. but i wasn't allowed at his wake um i went round to their bungalow and i said to my mother i said I really want to be there for you as a son. And she looked around the room and she laughed at me. She said, why would I need you when I've got all of these people around me? Um, that hurt. That hurt. I wanted to be there for her as a son. And I realized that I, I couldn't be that. And, and I think that's what, out of everything, that's what broke my dad. It was the fact that he couldn't be a father. To his son, you know, and these were, you know, I say me growing up, me and my dad were best mates, you know, to not have that anymore. Yeah, that's what it was like. That's what it does to people. Yeah. And my story isn't uncommon. It's really not uncommon. And with this whole podcast, Sean, if if a thousand people get upset by it, but one person can take something from it and consult themselves out as a result. I will do this every day for the rest of my life
2: all right respect
0: to that it definitely yeah. will jason what no, what water. what support structure did you have at that point in your life you said you had a child and and fa- you had your own family you've got your own family yes. at this point so we were able to get support from people
1: yeah definitely um i mean uh, what i would say is is that not, not not now but sort of you know when you are <clears throat> when you're trying to find out what truth is you start looking at various things and for me um at that time i I was looking at the i kind of joined a traditional sort of christian church and stuff um again sort of looking for meaning and looking for truth and the people in the church there were actually really helpful to be fair throughout the whole thing um you know it's not something i I believe in or anything now but it was something that you know was necessary as part of the healing um and you know and i did have some some people around me um you know which definitely was was helpful yeah, definitely was helpful, and the ex the Jehovah's Witness community as well during that time were, um, yeah, were, were, were really good as well. So quite a big community of that. There is, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a there is a big community online now with with ex Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have various kind of meet up groups and that kind of thing as well. So.
0: Have you ever had therapy for any of this? <sighs>
1: I had one session. <laughs> I had one session. Um, no, I, I've never had. I, I've never had therapy, Sean, and um, maybe I should. I don't know, but. I want to be able to in these in the darkest things that I've been through, I wanna take the positives. I wanna take the positives. You know the fact that I had a dad, you know, some people never know them, know their dad, you know. Um I wanna take the positives of um I'm healthy, that you know, I have a I have a roof over my head. Um I am each and every day grateful of the people that I do have around me, of of my wife, um you know, sitting behind the camera. She's my world, you know, and, um, this is my therapy. This is my therapy. Being able to have your own opinions, being able to have your own views, being able to make the most out of this thing we call life, finding purpose, finding meaning, you know, um, I don't, I feel with therapy, I don't want to be going back into those dark places. This has been a bit of therapy for me, actually, to be fair. <laughs> a lot of people say that. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to keep going to those dark places. I want to move on. I don't want to be known as Jeho- as Jason Thickpenny, this ex-Jehovah's Witness who is scarred and who, and who goes around banging a drum telling people not to join. I want to be known as Jason Thickpenny, the guy who actually stood up to these bullies, who made the most out of life. Who became a relatively good businessman? Who became a good father? Became a good husband? I don't, I don't want to be known as this guy who just went to therapy to heal with his, all of his wounds, and that's no disrespect to people who do. And I think it should be done. And maybe I should get some. I don't know, but certainly I don't feel as though at the moment it's it's something I want to. I want to go. Very down. personal journey, is it? Yeah, so. yeah, yes. yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so.
0: You've got an amazing, brave spirit, Jason. definitely. So I'm um, um, you know the people watching this what what do you want to say to them I, I imagine there's some apostates out there
1: Yeah um I think for any ex Jehovah's witness that is listening I would just say go and make the best out of your life you know you've got ample opportunity now hopefully you've still got many years left in you and you can go and be awesome you know and whatever it is that you've been through you can still do it. You don't have to let these scars or these burdens hold you back. You can achieve in life whatever the fuck you want. So go and do it. Stop having this as a, and I'm not saying this is not, you know, it's it's not a good reason to not move on, but don't let it because all you'll do is you'll be letting them win, you know, and don't accept shunning. When I see Jehovah's Witnesses in the street now, I go and talk to them particularly people that know me and it makes them feel really awkward. I can tell you that it's brilliant. Take the power back. You know, why are you accept? you don't believe in them anymore. Why are you accepting their shunning? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't accept your doctrine. So I don't, <laughs> I don't have to let you shun me. And it's brilliant. When I, when I walk into, into my, my old neighborhood now, and I see them on the street with their trolleys, it's like I'm part in the Red Sea. They just disappear. With <laughs> and, that is invigorating because you're taking the power back you know and it's not something that they should have ever owned in the first place so don't let them
2: amen to that so Nobody yeah that's what it. i
1: would that's what i would
2: say to mm.
1: the and you were able to get
0: the car one. that your dad always wanted yeah
2: the 911
1: uh, yeah well the b- business sort of took off really well i started my own company so what, sorry what is your now.
2: company
1: i mean i've got i've got a few now to be fair so okay. i started a uh, so i started a i started a model railway company It's something that me and him always had a passion for um so i started a model railway company um, have you ever done an escape room before? It? Yes. You know, so yes, yeah, so I built some escape rooms. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. One of them being in the back of a live ambulance. First one of its kind. Wow, where's out. this? Oh, in Leicester. Yeah, it's in oh, Leicester. Um, mm. I can oh, drive yours. it. Like, I can bring it up. Bring it up. Um, that would be amazing. So yeah, but and businesses did did really well. And my dad always wanted himself a nine eleven. That's what he always wanted. Never st- he, And he once got lent one. But, of course, he had to be held back, of course, because you're not supposed to have material things. And so an opportunity came for me to buy one. I paid myself a handsome dividend, and I bought this Porsche. Um, <laughs> and I just remember, and Amy and my wife, will tell you the same thing. There's this lasting memory I've got of it when we had the roof down. And we've got Queen, you know, one of the most, you know. What, I want to break free. No, it was uh, <laughs> don't, don't Stop Me Now. Um, yeah. And it was just like, there is nothing more appropriate right now, particularly coming from somebody like Freddie, you know, who would have been detested, you know, just turn it up into full blast. We'd had the roof down, just drove it like a, obviously legally spit speed, legal speed <laughs> uh, to, 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 to the coast. And it was just like, you know what? It, it was, I only, I only really bought it to be honest with you because he wanted one. It was almost kind of a little bit of a nod to him really, to be fair. Um, I sold it back because <laughs> it was, I didn't really like it, but, um, but yeah, it was just, it was just sort of a bit of a feather in the cap really, to be fair. And I guess that's the thing. And, you know, I know deep down, he didn't believe this to be the true religion. I know that deep down. And I guess it's, I want to do what would have made him proud, you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, I guess, it's, I guess I still probably leave, leave my life a little bit like that.
3: Yeah.
2: I think it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. He's yeah. definitely
0: proud. The big question in philosophy, what is the meaning of life?
1: <laughs> the journey is everything, you know. Um, I think meaning of life is different to different people. But for me, the meaning of life is not the destination. It's the journey. Often the um, destination is going to be really disappointing. I mean, have you ever been to Disneyland? It's probably not that great when you go, you know. I mean, you know, sure, more than anyone, you know, mansions and all that kind of thing. It's, it's about the journey and it's about the people that you're in. The meaning of life is... Falling out of the kebab shop drunk at three o'clock in the morning with your mates. My favourite pastime. You know, (laughs) that's that's what life is about. It's about enjoyment. It's about happiness and about being whatever it is that you want to be. And driving really
2: fast to Queen. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like our car journeys, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) Having a powerful female co-host who shuns me on occasion.
1: (laughs) So so, yeah, I think meaning of life is different for different people. But find a meaning, find a purpose because without it, Nothing will drive you. I think oh, you might I be never. lost. Yeah. Yeah. I that. So, people brilliant.
0: watching this, then, Jason, perhaps apostates and stuff who maybe want to reach out to you or follow you on your socials, yep. could you tell them where to find you? We, we will we will add those links below yep. the video.
1: Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Um, you know, I don't post that much anymore, really, to be fair, and they're not kind of high production or anything. It'll just be as and I when. I think you should.
2: You're a brilliant. Oh, bless you. Thank
1: you. Yeah, uh, man, an amazing speaker And, um, so yeah, you can find me if you just, if you, I've got a very unique name, Jason Thickpenny. So if you find me on <laughs> YouTube, if you find me on, if you Google me or whatever, you'll find me, it doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, I would say probably best communication is probably Facebook because that's where I tend to, you know, tend to do a lot of stuff in there. Um, so yeah, um, they can find me.
0: If people want to buck an escape room, how do they
1: do that? escape com. Have you yeah. been to one? No,
0: do you, does, they you, are great. Do you fun. supply these across the country? As it
1: uh, only, only in my local area. But like I say, we okay. built one in the back of an ambulance, which you can drive. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So we so they we, we do kind of corporate events and that kind of thing and stuff as well. So, uh, so yeah. we'll be doing that on our
2: staff. Do. You?
0: I might have flashbacks to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do you know what the reason? Is? <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs>
2: is, yeah. is it like a World War one? Because that's the one I've done. It's like a World no. War two.
1: Uh, I mean, we've got we've got various ones to be first. So we've got one where you um are in a police detective office. You so you'll be great at it to be fair. Friend. So uh, so yeah, you've got to and you've got to you've got to basically find your way out of it. And then we've done this one, like I say, in the back of a in the back of an ambulance where. It's called Jane Doe, and you have to guess who the patient is by looking at various clues around this ambulance and solving various puzzles to work oh, out who oh. this individual is. And only if you guess it right will you save her. If you don't, then oh, that must have been so fun to design. Oh, it was great. Yeah. I mean, wow. it was, it was, it was it's, that's the whole fun of it, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and then we, we're about to release one which is played in complete darkness. Oh, so. Escape room in the dark. You've got to use your sense of smell, your sense of hearing. we will be useless at that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll do that. So, uh, so yeah, but it's it's just all part of it. It's all part of the journey. It's all part of having you know
0: having fun with it. And do you know the other apostates that we've interviewed. Have you ever well, well, with them?
1: Chris, you, the first Chris that came onto your show, I met Chris through uh, a protest that we did in London. Um, and funny enough, I didn't know Chris was coming onto your show. To be fair, but I've been an advocate of your podcast for many a year. So when I saw him up there, it was like, wait, that's cool. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I met Chris through the, through the, uh, through the, um, like say, this protest that we did down in London. Um, I didn't know the other Chris who came on. Chris Byron. Oh, I mean, that was, I mean, that's an amazing, I mean, dark story and difficult to listen to, but yeah, um, really, he's a great, brave, brave brave guy. Um, You know, so, so yeah, so yeah, I knew one of them, but not the, not the other.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so stay tuned. We'll add those podcasts onto this one. If you want to keep stay tuned and watch the other apostate interviews, and if you want to reach out to Jason, all of his links will be in the description box below the video. Wow, that oh, was give, uh, us yeah, <laughs> give us a hug. Definitely. Thank you. So much. Oh. oh, thank
2: you. Brilliant.
3: thank oh, you. thank you, mate. Yeah, well, oh, it.
2: Yeah, good luck with oh, thank you.
3: Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Jen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textile Standard Association. Check us out on organic cotton clothing dot co dot uk
2: this podcast is sponsored by gadfly press we are proud to announce the publication of the girl gambler a young woman's story of her escape from gambling addiction the story of a young girl's entrapment in gambling addiction the true advert for problem gambling and how it controlled her every movement every thought and almost took her life How the guilt and shame that go hand in hand with addiction stopped her from reaching out for help for eight years as she didn't feel it was okay for a young female to be a problem gambler. How she believed it was a male dominated problem and how eventually she did find the tools that enabled her to become free of her addiction.
0: Available worldwide on Amazon, link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor.